Hello, 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 hello. You're listening to the Hot Stuff Society radio show on Cairo 97.3 FM. My name is Thierry Rotiro. I'm the chef in the hat. Tom Douglas is ditching us today. He's golfing in Scotland like anybody, whoa, whoa, like, whoa. like anybody should do, I guess. Do you think he's wearing the hat with a little pom-pom on top? I'm sure he I is. Hope, I, I, mean, so. I would love to see a picture of that, though. Yeah, and a kilt while I golfing. I hope it's coming through the pipeline. <laughs> a picture of Tom with a pom-pom on his head. Cute. And the hair fluffing out on each side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that already. Uh, the voice of the lady you're hearing is Rachel Bell. She's going to be co-hosting with me today. I'm so excited. Thank you to for be coming here. with us. Of Ooh. course. During the week, I have to do news on Cairo, but now on the weekend, I get to talk about food, my favorite thing ever. I know. Plus, it's a lot of fun to talk with you because you always come up with those great, great things, and I either never heard of or MV MV tremendously to do so it's very cool thanks Terry. Like, we're going to talk about things like you're going to go camping and picnic and things you do when you do that i love this stuff because camping for me is something i kind of dream of mm. much more than i do okay i'll have to take you camping because the four season looks really good when i go camping that's uh <clears throat> i'm not uh, i think i left the tent a few years ago and Never came back. I just folded it and said goodbye. <laughs> yeah, more. I have a goal of getting people to look beyond hot dogs and hamburgers and when hiking, go beyond the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So we're going to talk about that later in the show. Cool. Well, we have a big, big show coming up today. We're going to talk pick of the season mangoes. And uh, I'm very excited about that because Rachel has a lot to talk about on this. So that's excellent. Uh, Rachel runs down the highlights of Taste Northwest Cook-Off in Pilalup last weekend. Yes, you passed the torch to me. We'll talk That's about right. this. Uh, the Bite of Seattle, the Taste of Tacoma, those have now become Taste Northwest and Puyallup. So we're going to talk about what happened last weekend. Wow. And then we're going to uh, share some of your most mouth-watering last meal from your podcast, your Woo! famous world-renowned Podcast. Yes, if you haven't listened, it's called Your Last Meal. I just have to brag for a moment. It is James Beard Award nominated because that is the highlight of my career. Uh, and I interview celebrities I about their last meal. they were putting a star on Hollywood Boulevard for you, not yet? Not yet. The pandemic okay. slowed that down, but it's oh, yeah, coming yeah. soon. Yeah. The concrete, they have a yeah. shortage of concrete. Exactly. <laughs> shortage of everything. Oh, and then we're going to do an annual, annual thirst quenching ideas for Samuel Spritzer, low alcohol and no alcohol. Yes. That's something I like to talk about. That's very I'm cool. I'm excited to talk about that because I have a story that is connected to your past to share oh. about non-alcoholic drinks. Beautiful. Yes. And then what to eat when COVID dulls your test bud. Something you went through and we definitely, I'm very interested in, in hearing all about it because I think I would die if I lose my test bud. I think I would, I would be very, I would be probably... One of the saddest person on the planet. Sad, well, 80%. the happy Terry, you know, would probably be going very sad. Eighty percent of people who got COVID lost some of their sense of taste and smell. So this affects a lot of people, and I feel like we kind of stopped talking about it. So we're going to talk about it today because some people never got their taste back. And then we're going to talk also, well, and then lastly, we're going to do a food tasty trivia. Ooh. And I can't wait. Little challenge with you, Missy. Yes, head to head. Yes. Foot to foot. But first, taste of the week is what we always start the show with. What's your taste of the week, Missy? 
Okay, so I actually haven't eaten out really this whole week, at least the weekdays. So I'm going to have to do what you normally do on the show, Terry, and be like, I made the most yes. tasty thing. Yes. Um, so I came late to the sourdough trend. I'm going to be Tom. Of course it's good. You made it. <laughs> of course it's good. Today's the day where we're not going to mock each other's cooking. <laughs> exactly. Terry. It's a safe space here today. Um, so I got into the sourdough trend late because I was continuing to go into the office for a long time. And um, anyone who's made sourdough at home now knows that it's a little baby that you must tend to uh, sometimes for 24 hours, which is what my recipe is. So um, I made a loaf of sourdough this week for the first time in many months, and it was the best one that I had made yet. And yesterday morning I baked it uh, and I cut into it. And you know, it's like a birthday present. You don't know oh, what's yeah. inside. It's like, oh. what is this crumb going to look like? Is it going to be dense? Is it going to be loose? It was perfect. Like, the lovely big holes and the chewy bread. And so you actually, brought some for us to taste, of course. Oh, no, because I ate almost all of it already. <laughs> I sat there, I cut it open, and then I proceeded to eat half of it just in one go. Did I, you wait till it cooled off? I did. Okay. I learned my lesson because otherwise it doesn't turn out as good. So I smeared some of it with soft Kerrygold butter and mm, a little yes. Malden salt on top. And then I got some good olive oil recently. I went to Wenatchee and what's the name of that market in Wenatchee that's kind of like their Pike Place? Is it Pibus Market? Oh yeah, I don't know the name of it, but I've been there once. It's really cool. It's all of their local people. Yeah, I don't remember the... I don't know the name of it, no. And there's one of those places in there where they have like 45,000 olive oil. So I finally cracked that open and then I smeared pesto from De Laurenti on some of it, which we can talk about. That's the best pesto in the city, in my opinion. So that was my taste of the week was standing over the you know, the cutting board, not wow. even sitting down and just shoving bread in my wonderful, mouth. Wonderful, wonderful Well, taste. mine is a celebration of summer that I always make as my favorite salad of summer. Watermelon, tomatoes, feta, and anise ice up, nice. cracked pepper, a little sea salt, lots of olive oil, done. I made one of those this week too, but mine's a little different than yours. It's I, so good. It's so fresh. And then the anise ice up is right at the back door of my kitchen on the patio, and it's in a big pot. And I tell you, anise ice up is something I look forward to every year. And right now, full blossom. So you take all those blossoms, all those flowers, and you just sprinkle them oh. over your salad. They're full of flavor. So I know what anise is, but what's anise isop? Anise isop is like, um, it's part of the mint family. Anything that has a square root or okay. square, square stem is part of the meat family. Mint family, not meat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the anise isop is a, basically a light anise and light mint flavor together. Oh, interesting. So a very, very mint cool. together. Almost licorice, kind of okay. light licorice. It's very delicious. And do you use the fronds like you were on No, a, the leaves, just like leaves. basil. Oh, okay. Except you julienne it and then you put cool. it into your salad and every time you take a bite of the watermelon and tomato and mm. you have a bite of that anise ice up behind it, so it's like a finishing light anise flavor behind it. It's delicious. Oh, that sounds so good. Yeah. Is that an herb that you can easily get in a nursery here oh, in yeah. Seattle? Yeah. Okay. And you can easily grow it and it grows it grows quite substantially i mean it grows like four feet tall Ooh, i love that yeah people so, always complain that their mint is too big and it's spreading i can never get mine that big so i'm like don't complain about that you're so lucky you don't know what you have so you too with your anise so the idea of that is to get a bigger pot oh <laughs> i'm just gonna give you a little advice on that uh-huh. if you want it to grow wider and bigger yeah usually a bigger pot okay so the mint can spread got it it's like getting a bigger purse. You find more things to put in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Expand, expand. I, I would guess that's the same idea. I don't know about the purse, but yes, I would guess that would be okay. in the same room. <laughs> we'll get you a purse so you can understand the analogy. 
All Keep right. you away from your fanny pack years. Next segment, we're going to talk about mango. You're looking forward to that? I am. I bought two yesterday, so I'm looking forward to cracking them open. Here we go. Stay with us. We're on Hot Stuff Society Radio here at the Hotel Andra, downtown Seattle on the second floor of the Hotel Andra at the Hot Stuff Society Club. I call it school also. (laughs) Do you like the name I give it, club? Stay with us on 97.3 Cairo FM. We are back at the Hot Stuff Society in the Hot Stuff Society kitchen. And uh, you're listening to the chef in the hat, Thierry Rotiro, and my wonderful co-host today... Rachel Bell. Oh, I thought you forgot my name for a minute, but it was just a dramatic No, I was, pause. I was hoping you were going to say your name. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm Rachel Bell. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Make me, in case you forgot. Yes. Tom is not here. He's uh, chosen to uh, ditch us and go golfing in Scotland. What kind of an idea is that? I don't know. How dare he? He doesn't work hard enough to have a vacation. Oh, my God. If anybody needs a vacation, that is Tom Douglas. I must say, I'm, I will back him up on that. He needs more vacation than he takes. How's that? Yes. All right, we're going to talk about mangoes. Mangoes! So mangoes right now are beautiful, in season. Uh, or in, I don't know if they're in season, but they're on the, in the store. Uh-huh. And they look better than they've looked for the last few weeks. And what do you make with mangoes? Do you like to play with mangoes? Do you like to eat them? I do. And the interesting thing is, is they seem so exotic and tropical, so I always assume they're going to be expensive. But they're not. And I'm so curious why. Like, I just bought two mangoes at Fred Meyer, two for $3.00. And I feel like most of the year they are that cheap. They're cheaper than apples. And I want to know why, because, you know, obviously they're being shipped in from somewhere very far away. Can I tell you why? Yeah. I think in the winter month, they're more expensive because they're not competing so much with other fruits. But in the summertime here, we have so many bounties of, we have a big bounty of fruit, uh-huh. from, especially locally from the state of Washington and California and Oregon, whatever. So because of that, they have to make it, Probably less expensive in order to sell. I don't know. The that would pineapple be my guess was still co- $4 each. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to look into this. I think it's probably a competition story. Supply and demand, yeah. yeah. So my favorite thing to make with mango is this recipe that a friend of mine made maybe 10 years ago that... We were at a party. He made this dish. Everybody asked for the recipe. And now when I make it, everyone asks for the recipe. It's kind of a dip, a salsa. It's hard to say. It is Thai. So um, you start with a bunch of herbs. So you chop up a big bunch of fresh mint, fresh cilantro, and then you finely chop up a mango. And then you mix those two things together with some unsweetened either shredded coconut or like the coconut chips. Uh And then you chop up a bunch of salted peanuts. And then you just put like the smallest amount, like a quarter cup of that sweet chili sauce that you get in Uh a bottle. And that's just the dressing that binds it together. And then you either have rice crackers or you could use chips or you could put it on like a fish if you wanted to, but I've always had it as a dip. It is so delicious. It's just the herbs, the mango, the peanut, and then this sauce. And everybody always asks for the recipe. That sounds just so delicious. It's fresh. No, it sounds really, really good. And Oh, I forgot one thing. Anti-basil. So Thai basil, mint, and cilantro. So I would put this on a nice grilled duck breast, mm-hmm. sliced thinly, fan, and then put all that salsa right on top of that. Yeah. So every time you take a bite of duck, you have a bite of that beautiful... Beautiful mango. Mm. It's, almost you, like a, it's almost like a chutney, what you're making. Like yeah, a, it is kind of like a chutney. I was served it as a dip, so that's how I've always eaten right. it. But people always are a little confused with how to eat I have to instruct them on what to do. It's like, what is this? That is the challenge of uh, making your own food and making, you know, esoteric food. 
It's usually you have to explain to people explain how it. to do it. Yeah. yeah. But it's okay. It doesn't matter. What's your favorite thing to make with mango? I don't know if I have one favorite thing, but I definitely like it in many different ways. I like it pickled to go in salads mm. or to go on top of, uh, uh, like I was talking about dog breast. I love to have something like a, a roast meat or a grilled meat that has a little bit of smoke to it and some grilled char to it and then mix a, a make, like pickled mangoes. So you take mangoes. First of all, you got to clean the mango. You got to peel the mango. You got to cut it in half, in two halves, because there's a big bone pit in the middle. Yeah, let's talk about how to cut a mango, because I think a lot of people struggle let's, let's, with that. Let's talk about this after I'm done oh, with okay, this. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm going to finish yes, the recipe sorry. first. So you take the meat of the mango, and you dice it. And you know what? I've bought frozen mango. Have you ever bought frozen mango? For smoothies, yeah. Yeah. You know what? Often it's delicious meat. Yes, so don't forget to use that as a, as a product for, like if you're making chutney or salsa, it's a quick way to make it. Right. And there is one thing about frozen product in most cases when it's a good brand, they usually use the best product in the summertime. Hmm. When the fruit is perfectly ripe, most of the time it's a great product to use for salsa, for sauces, for purees, right. you know, for things like this because, because it's such a good product. And you don't need a firm texture. You know, sometimes no. when you defrost it, it's a little mushy, but you're going to make a salsa anyway. It exactly. doesn't really matter. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, back to the fresh mango. You take the fresh mango, you peel it, and then you dice it. And I pickle it quickly. I do a quick pickle. I always talk about my pickling, my favorite pickling, which is three, two, one, you know, three waters, two, two sugar, one vinegar. Those are the portions. Uh-huh. And then you bring that to a boil for two minutes. You cool it down. Then you put your mangoes in there for like 30 minutes. And it totally impregnates the, the, uh, that flavor. What I like to do in this case is, I was talking about anise isop in the one before. Tarragon is the herbs I would use for this. Because tarragon and mango, I think, goes really well together. Yeah. So tarragon in the, in the pickling spice, in the pickling juice, and then... And then put the mango in there and let's it, let them macerate it. Mm, you so could you, do whatever you, yeah, you could kind of put whatever herb goes with what you're making too. I mean, when, you, when you're doing pickling juice, you can add any herb spice or anything you want in there and it will pick up the flavor. Mint is a big one. That sounds really good. I know that mango pickles are really popular in Indian cooking, right. but I think they're much saltier. So I don't know. I think they do a different technique of they how do they a pickle. Pickling. Yeah. They use mostly vinegar, okay. less sugar than I do. Um, mine is a little bit sweet and sour kind of idea, so it doesn't really change too much the flavor of the mango. It just adds the flavor of the light vinegar and a bit of the sweet. So anyway, using that on, on grilled meat is that a very, so very good. good. It's good to have a, a container of that in the fridge. Yes. Because, you, you, you know, you're grilling something outside. Let's say chicken. You're doing a grilled chicken. You know, it's missing a little something. Poof, you put that little mango mango uh, pickle on top of your chicken it just changed drastically but so pickle is one way i like it and the other one is obviously fresh i like a good mango especially beautifully perfectly ripe and then do that with a nice chocolate mousse oh chocolate and mango and mango i wouldn't think to put those together not just chocolate because i think that if you just use you know 72 percent dark bittersweet chocolate Uh it's gonna be overpowering too much but if you do a chocolate mousse, it's mixed with whipped cream. Oh, that's my favorite. So I love it's that. nice and light and fluffy. I used to make a terrine at, at Rover's that was laid out with mangoes on the outside, diced mango in a chocolate mousse, wrap it up and then slice it and have those beautiful oh, wow. medallions of 
mango and, and chocolate mousse on the inside. I've never seen a dessert terrain. That's awesome. Um, the other thing that I like to do to keep it super simple is just if you've ever been to Mexico or Los Angeles, it's all over on the street corners. I like mango just cut into spears or cubes. Um, you could add pineapple, watermelon, cucumbers, or you could just have mango and then you just squeeze some lime and then you sprinkle the tahine on top. Uh, T-A-J-I-N if people don't know that little spice and that is just perfect like right. it's refreshing but then you get that zippiness from the spice and then the lime I'm actually making that this weekend hint hint for our next segment coming up later on a hiking trip that I'm going on oh, uh-huh. there we go uh, how to peel it yes go how ahead. to peel it so the first time I peeled the mango it was a disaster I tried to Cut it like a peach where you kind of run the knife around it and there's that huge pit. It's not going to separate. It's going to cling. So you want to cut off what you can call a lobe from either side. So with the knife, just go in and feel around. Sometimes it'll be too hard. You'll just have to go out until it's soft. Cut yourself off a lobe and then I take the knife and I score it. So I cut it into, you know, cut down one way, flip it, cut down the other way. And then you can kind of flip that lobe over and it's so satisfying. Like, how would you describe what that looks like? Invert it. Yeah. You invert it you and then pop all, it the, out. all the cubes fall off. Yeah, and then you kind of have to take your knife and maybe like a smaller paring knife and cut along the skin and pop them out. But that is the easiest way. Also, I will sometimes peel the whole mango before I do that, and then you can just cut off your lobe and chop it and cube it. It's but, much, but it's much harder to do that, to try to peel before you cut the pit off. It's slippery. <laughs> well, it's very hard to do, and yeah. it's also, it requires a very hard mango. So if you have a very hard mango, that's one way to do it. But yeah. I would recommend cutting it two lobes first. Yeah. On each side of the pit. All right. I'm glad we get the mango out of the way. Me too. Good job. Please, mango. please go get some mangoes and, you know, mix it with strawberry. Mangoes and strawberry. Yes. Mangoes and peaches. I mean, who doesn't want that? That's a great, great combinations of salad, especially with a bunch of fresh herbs in it at uh, the end. So good. Yeah. I mean, it's an easy one to do it. All right. Get out there. Get some mangoes. Here we go. You're listening to the Hot Stove Society radio show. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Rachel about... What happened last weekend at the Taste of the Northwest? Hmm. You make it sound like I did something <laughs> terrible. Well, we'll find out soon enough. I know Stay what you did last weekend. On 97.3 FM. We are back at the Hot Stuff Society, in the Hot Stuff Society kitchen. And uh, you're listening to the chef in the hat, Thierry Rotiro, and my wonderful co-host today... Rachel Bell. Oh, I thought you forgot my name for a minute, but it was just a dramatic pause. No, I was, pause. I was hoping you were going to say your name. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm Rachel Bell. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Make me in case you forgot. Yes. Tom is not here. He's uh, chosen to uh, ditch us and go golfing in Scotland. What kind of an idea is that? I don't know. How dare he? He doesn't work hard enough to have a vacation. Oh, my God. If anybody needs a vacation, that is Tom Douglas. I must say, I'm, I will back him up on that. He needs more vacation than he takes. How's that? Yes. All right, we're going to talk about mangoes. Mangoes! So mangoes right now are beautiful, in season. Uh, or in, I don't know if they're in season, but they're on the, in the store. Uh-huh. And they look better than they've looked for the last few weeks. And what do you make with mangoes? Do you like to play with mangoes? Do you like to eat them? I do. And the interesting thing is, is they seem so exotic and tropical. So I always assume they're going to be expensive, but they're not. And I'm so curious why. Like I just bought two mangoes at Fred Meyer, two for $3. And I feel like most of the year they are that cheap. They're cheaper than apples. And I want to know why. Cause you know, obviously they're being shipped in from somewhere very far away. Can I tell you why? Yeah. I think in the winter month, they're more expensive because they're not competing so much with other fruits. 
But in the summertime here, we have so many bounties of, we have a big bounty of fruit, uh-huh. from, especially locally from the state of Washington and California and Oregon, whatever. So because of that, they have to make it probably less expensive in order to sell. I don't know. The that would pineapple be my guess. was still four dollars each. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to look into this. I think it's probably a competition story. Supply and demand. Yeah. Yeah. So my favorite thing to make with mango is this recipe that a friend of mine made maybe ten years ago. That we were at a party. He made this dish. Everybody asked for the recipe, and now when I make it, everyone asks for the recipe. It's kind of a dip, a salsa. It's hard to say. It is Thai. So um, you start with a bunch of herbs. So you chop up a big bunch of fresh mint fresh cilantro, and then you finely chop up a mango, and then you mix those two things together with some unsweetened either shredded coconut or like the coconut chips, Uh and then you chop up a bunch of salted peanuts, and then you just put like the smallest amount, like a quarter cup of that sweet chili sauce that you get in Uh a bottle, and that's just the dressing that binds it together, and then you either have rice crackers, or you could use chips, or you could put it on like a fish if you wanted to, but I've always had it as a dip. It is so delicious. It's just the herbs, the mango, the peanut, and then this sauce. And everybody always asks for the recipe. That sounds just so delicious. It's fresh. No, it sounds really, really good. And Oh, I forgot one thing. Anti-basil. So Thai basil, mint, and cilantro. So I would put this on a nice grilled duck breast, slice mm-hmm. thinly, fan, and then put all that salsa right on top of that. Yeah. So every time you take a bite of duck, you have a bite of that beautiful... Beautiful mango. Mm. It's, almost like a, it's almost like a chutney what you're making. Like yeah, a, it is kind of like a chutney. I was served it as a dip, so that's how I've always eaten right. it. But people always are a little confused with how to eat I have to instruct them on when to do. It's like, what is this? That is the challenge of uh, making your own food and making, you know, esoteric food. It's usually you have to explain to, to people explain how to it. do it. Yeah. yeah. But what's that's you, okay. It doesn't matter. What's your favorite thing to make with mango? I don't know if I have one favorite thing, but I definitely like it in many different ways. I like it pickled to go in salads mm. or to go on top of, uh, uh, like I was talking about dog breast. I love to have something like a, a roast meat or a grilled meat that has a little bit of smoke to it and some grilled char to it and then mix a, a make, like pickled mangoes. So you take mangoes. First of all, you got to clean the mango. You got to peel the mango. You got to cut it in half, in two halves because... There's a big bone pit in the middle. Yeah, let's talk about how to cut a mango because I think a lot of people struggle let's, let's, with that. Let's talk about this after I'm done oh, with okay, this. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm going to finish yes, the recipe sorry. first. So you take the meat of the mango and you dice it. And you know what? I've bought frozen mango. Have you ever bought frozen mango? For smoothies, yeah. Yeah. You know what? Often it's delicious meat. Yes. Mm-hmm. So don't forget to use that as a, as a product for, like if you're making chutney or salsa, it's a quick way to make it. Right. And there is one thing about frozen product in most cases when it's a good brand, they usually use the best product in the summertime. Hmm. When the fruit is perfectly ripe, most of the time it's a great product to use for salsa, for sauces, for purees, right. you know, for things like this because, because it's such a good product. And you don't need a firm texture. You know, sometimes no. when you defrost it, it's a little mushy, but you're going to make a salsa anyway. It exactly. doesn't really matter. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, back to the fresh mango. You take the fresh mango, you peel it, and then you dice it. And I pickle it quickly. I do a quick pickle. I always talk about my pickling, my favorite pickling, which is three, two, one. You know, three waters, two, two sugar, one vinegar. Those are the portions. Uh-huh. And then you bring that to a boil for two minutes. You cool it down. Then you put your mangoes in there for like 30 minutes, and it totally impregnates the, the, uh, that flavor. What I like to do in this case is, I was talking about anise ice up in the one before. 
Tarragon is the herbs I would use for this because tarragon and mango I think goes really well together. Yeah. So tarragon in the in the pickling spice, in the pickling juice, and then and then put the mango in there and let's it let them macerate it. Mm, you so could you, do whatever you yeah you could kind of put whatever herb goes with what you're making too. I mean when you when you're doing pickling juice you can add any herb spice or anything you want in there and they will pick up the flavor. Mint is a big one. That sounds really good. I know that mango pickles are really popular in Indian cooking, right. but I think they're much saltier. So I don't know. I think they do a different technique of they how do they a pickle. Different pickling. Yeah. They use mostly vinegar. Okay. Less sugar than I do. Um, mine is a little bit sweet and sour kind of idea, so it doesn't really change too much the flavor of the mango. It just adds the flavor of the light vinegar and a bit of the sweet. So anyway, using that on on grilled meat is that a very so very good. good. It's good to have a, a container of that in the fridge. Yes. Because, you, you, you know, you're grilling something outside. Let's say chicken. You're doing a grilled chicken. You know, it's missing a little something. Poof, you put that little mango, mango pickle on top of your chicken. It just changed drastically. But so pickle is one way I like it. And the other one is obviously fresh. I like a good mango, especially beautifully, perfectly ripe. And then do that with a nice chocolate mousse. Oh. Chocolate and mango and mango. I wouldn't think to put those together. Not just chocolate, because I think that if you just use, you know, 72% dark, bittersweet chocolate, uh-huh. it's going to be overpowering too much. But if you do a chocolate mousse, it's mixed with whipped cream. Oh, that's my favorite. So I love it's that. nice and light and fluffy. I used to make a terrine at, at Rover's that was laid out with mangoes on the outside, diced mango in a chocolate mousse, wrap it up and then slice it and have those beautiful oh, wow. medallions of... Mango and, and chocolate mousse on the inside. I've never seen a dessert terrine. That's awesome. Um, the other thing that I like to do to keep it super simple is just if you've ever been to Mexico or Los Angeles, it's all over on the street corners. I like mango just cut into spears or cubes. Um, you could add pineapple, watermelon, cucumbers, or you could just have mango and then you just squeeze some lime and then you sprinkle the tahine on top. Uh, T-A-J-I-N, if people don't know that little spice. And that is just perfect. Like, it's refreshing, but then you get that zippiness from the spice and then the lime. I'm actually making that this weekend. Hint, hint for our next segment coming up later on a hiking trip that I'm going on. There we go. Uh, How to peel it. Yes, how to peel it. So the first time I peeled the mango, it was a disaster. I tried to cut it like a peach where you kind of run the knife around it and there's that huge pit. It's not going to separate. It's going to cling. So you want to cut off what you can call a lobe from either side. So with the knife, just go in and feel around. Sometimes it'll be too hard. You'll just have to go out until it's soft. Cut yourself off a lobe and then I take the knife and I score it. So I cut it into, you know, cut down one way, flip it, cut down the other way and then you can kind of flip that lobe over and it's so satisfying. Like, how would you describe what that looks like? Invert it. Yeah. You invert it you and then pop all, it the, out. all the cubes fall off. Yeah, and then you kind of have to take your knife and maybe like a smaller paring knife and cut along the skin and pop them out. But that is the easiest way. Also, I will sometimes peel the whole mango before I do that, and then you can just cut off your lobe and chop it and cube it. It's but, much, but it's much harder to do that, to try to peel before you cut the pit off. It's slippery. <laughs> well, it's very hard to do, and yeah. it's also, it requires a very hard mango. So if you have a very hard mango, that's one way to do it. But yeah. I would recommend cutting it two lobes first. Yeah. On each side of the pit. All right. I'm glad we get the mango out of the way. Me too. Job, I'm done please, with mango. please go get some mangoes and, you know, mix it with strawberry. Mangoes and strawberry. Yes. Mangoes and peaches. I mean, who doesn't want that? That's a great, great combinations of salad, especially with a bunch of fresh herbs in it at uh, the end. So good. Yeah. I mean, it's an easy one to do it. All right. Get out there. Get some mangoes. 
Here we go. You're listening to the Hot Stuff Society radio show. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Rachel about what happened last weekend at the Taste of the Northwest. Hmm. You make it sound like I did something terrible. <laughs> well, we'll find out soon enough. I know Stay what with you us did last weekend. On 97.3 FM. We are back in the kitchen at the Hot Stuff Society. On the Hot Stuff Society radio show. My wonderful co-host is Rachel Bell. Hello. Hello, Rachel. Hello, Terry. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to be here. I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat, and I'm very happy to be here. How about that? How about that? We are live on YouTube right now. If you want to watch us, go to TomDouglas.com. Click on the link for the hot tube. Uh, for the hot tube, for the YouTube, and uh, hot tube for the hot tube, for the YouTube, and uh, you'll see us live every Friday morning from nine to eleven. Uh, Tom is not here today; he's actually golfing in Scotland, uh, like everybody should do, I guess, on Friday. I was I, bored today. I'm going to golf in Scotland. I guess next week and next week we'll hear about the food in Scotland, which I'm curious to hear about. Actually, next week he will still be in Scotland. Oh, okay. So uh, <laughs> in two weeks maybe we'll hear about the food in Scotland. <laughs> in two weeks we'll hear okay. about it. But uh, for now, Rachel, you have this world famous podcast that everybody wants to be in before they die. Because you call it your last meal. Yes, it is called your last meal, but I'm always very careful to point out that it is not morbid. Uh, it is just the concept, a vehicle for conversation, asking celebrities what they would choose to eat for their last meal. Um, but I will say there have been a couple celebrities who would not do the show because they didn't like the concept. And so that's why I always say it's just hypothetical. It's just a way to talk about what food you love, what's important to you, because most people pick something that is sentimental to them, whether it was made by a family member or something they had on a trip. So it is not about death. So if it was me, if you would ask me, I yeah. think I would choose to go back to be probably somewhere around nine years old oh. and be sitting at the farm table where my grandmother and my grandfather was farm, were farming with everybody around the table and a big cauldron with a pot of in it and have... You know, everybody bring the meat out and the vegetables out and put everything on the platter in the middle of the table. And then everybody serve, you know, parents obviously serve the kids. And uh, garnish with cornichon and salt and everything. That would be that would probably be something. And the grilled bread from the, from the fireplace. I mean, mm. I think I would want... That's, that would be probably where I would want to be for my last meal. If I could obviously... If there was a genie that would grant me that wish, that's where I would be. So you want to time travel and have this yeah, meal of your choice. Yeah, I think yeah. I would want the time travel part because that's so cool. I yeah. Mean, I mean, obviously, if, it, if there is no time travel, I want to be with my wife and my kids, obviously. Maybe that they would can be, be nine years old with you. Yeah, that this would be great weird. if they could be with me, too. Yeah. So can you explain a little about what pot de fou is? I've actually never had it, but I do know that uh, pho is allegedly based on that because, of Correct. course, uh, Vietnam was colonized by the French, and you can hear that word pho and pho are right. very close. I think, I think then, then pho was first. I don't know. Actually, I don't know which one came first. I should look it up. But pot de fou came <laughs> first is what oh, is the story it? that I've researched is. Yeah. Okay. So pot de fou is probably ancient. It's basically boiled beef or boiled it, It's boiled beef in this case. Uh, neck, you know, meat that, uh, meat that needs to be boiled in order to, it's obviously not, don't use filet mignon for that. Um, so it's boiled beef with vegetables. So cabbage, carrots, turnips, carrots, turnips, cabbage. What am I missing? Missing something else. Uh, onions. Onions. And uh, so the basic, 
vegetable that are winter. This is a winter dish. Yeah. And then what we do is we, when I was a child, we used to the, use the broth to make a bouillon that you would bring to a boil and put vermicelli pasta in it and vermicelli cooks in one minute. And then you'd have that for starter. Love that. And then after that, you'd have the meat and the vegetable with seasoning on the table. Yum. So it's, it's a very heartwarming, I don't know, it's just, there's something about potofu that I grew up with that, you know, I mean, I, I would ask my mom every time I would go back to France, can you just make potofu? Yeah. And then my grandmother, one thing that was really cool as a kid, you know, when you have a fireplace, you have those long pliers, those big long pliers to go in the fire. Oh, yeah, she would grab around. She would grab a sugar cube. And bring it on fire and then put it in the pot au feu. Oh. And that would give it a little darker color. Oh, that's interesting. A little caramelization. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to give people an idea of who has been on the show talking about their last meals, I've had everyone from Neil deGrasse Tyson, who was very funny, and um, he chose lobster. And the reason he chose it, only a few people have chosen luxury ingredients like lobster. Most people pick, like what you said, something that's cozy and homey. But such a science mind, it's because he thought, he took the concept literally, and he thought, if I have a lobster, that's going to take a long time to crack and pick the meat out. So I'm going to prolong <laughs> my execution. I think Dungeon this crab would be the same. Would the be same, yes. And I highly recommend going back and listening to that Neil deGrasse Tyson episode because uh, I found this little tidbit about him online that I had never heard before where he almost became a stripper. I will say no more. You have to go back and listen to the episode. I also had Jenny Slade on, who's one of my favorite actors. She has a new film out right now, um, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Greta Gerwig, the famous director and actress. Phoebe Robinson, who's a very funny comedian. William Shatner. What? Maybe the let me guess meatballs craziest I was just thinking space balls no no he was one of the kookiest ones I mean while he's talking I'm going oh my god if his publicist knew what he was saying right now one of the things he said I have a concept for a show called MILF and I'm going oh my god how am I going to air this moms I'd like to feed I'm like okay feel (laughs) then he starts talking about his dog being in heat it's just like a no, you don't know where he's going to go next. But he was very fun because he was super playful. Like a lot of the guests, I ask them a question, they answer, we have a little banter. He was very engaged, very, very funny. And he is, I think, 91 years old right now. I interviewed him when I think he was 88 or 89. He would only do it on the phone. I like to get people on Zoom or Skype at this point. It sounds much better. You can't get those old, old folks on the Zoom. <laughs> Although I will say, I just came out with a new episode on Thursday with comedian Hannah Burner. And I had her 81-year-old Nana on, and Nana could use Zoom. Nana figured it out. She's on Instagram. She has her own Instagram account called Nana Still Got It. Um, And this episode was really fun because the show has been in my mind for years. This is, I think, the sixth year I've been doing it. But 10 or 15 years ago, I was looking around. I'm also a feature reporter for Cairo Radio. I was researching something and randomly found this website that listed the last meal of every person had who had been executed in the state of Texas. And some people picked three things. Some people picked 20 things. Most people chose fried chicken. And so it was something that I just thought a lot about. I asked people about just in my daily life. And so I conceptualized a TV show where I would interview celebrities and then go anywhere in the world to find the best version of that dish. And I imagine that it would take us into the homes of grandmothers and mothers a lot. A lot, yeah. But in the six years I've done this show with maybe like 130 episodes, I've never had a grandma on the show. So this was really cool to have uh, 81-year-old uh, this Italian-American nonna on to talk about her eggplant parmesan and um, how she eats pasta every single day and manages to look 55 years old even though she's 81. I'm telling you. You know, I would love to hear 
What? Willie Nelson. I love Willie Nelson. You I book think. him. I'll interview him. I would love to. <laughs> the oh, hardest Gary. part is booking the guests. I think it guests. would be great. I say, what do you want to eat? On yeah. the road again. <laughs> I just want to eat on the road again. Yeah, was, maybe he just wants McDonald's drive-thru. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, yeah. No, the I, Nona. I the Nona's eggplant. What about it? Was there anything different about the way she did it? It sounded pretty standard to me, but one of the cool things that she talked about is uh, this old wives' tale from Italy. She thinks it's hundreds, thousands of years old. So I think most people, when you cook a big Italian eggplant, you know that you slice it and then you put a lot of salt on it to let the moisture leach out before you cook. But she said, um, I'm blanking on the word, uh, the word for eggplant in Italian is like mela... Melanzana. Yes. And she thinks that it comes from the word melancholy. And the old wives' tale is that you have to salt it and let it cry to get all of the sadness and the poison out so that you can have a happy meal. That is 100% true. I I like your story. Good. I go with it. Well, I think if it's a liked, great story. If you want to listen to the podcast, it's available anywhere you get podcasts or at yourlastmealpodcast.com. And you can follow along at Hello Rachel Bell on Instagram. We will do it. Thank Glad you. Glad we had that put in because it's definitely worth listening. I love it when I listen. I love it. I've listened to it. I'm few. so glad. Thanks, it's Chef. It's very cool. It's very, you have a great talent for that. Thanks. Beautiful. Stay with us for, for the next hour here on the Hot Stuff Society Radio. We're going to talk with Rachel about camping picnic. We're going to talk about summer spritzer. And we'll have our favorite game of the show, the tasty trivia that everybody loves so much. Rachel, you're staying with me? I'm eating, Chef, but yes. (laughs) Stay with us on Cairo 97.3 FM. We are back in the kitchen at the Hot Stuff Society radio show. And uh, we're here for a second hour. And my co-host is Rachel Bell. Bonjour. Bonjour, Rachel. Thank you. Thomas ditched us and is uh, golfing in sunny Scotland. I hope sunny for him. With the little hat, with the little poof ball on top. That's how I'm picturing him. Yeah. So cute. And the kilt, maybe? I, of course there's a kilt. Of course. Of yes. Course. I can't wait to see those pictures. I'm going to send them. <laughs> um, we're going to make lots of money with that. Yeah, the paparazzi's going to get a hold of those. <laughs> Tom and a skirt. Coming up in this hour, we have lots of interesting subjects. We're talking about non-alcoholic and alcoholic uh, spritzer and summer cocktail and summer non-alcoholic cocktail. I think that's always a great subject because... I think there's so many ideas out there, and um, I think people just need a few to get into the mood and change the pattern. You don't always have to drink wine. You don't always have to drink alcohol. You don't always have to drink non-alcoholic. So plenty of options. And then we're also going to talk about going camping and picnicking with you, because that sounds like a very interesting subject. I haven't camped in quite some time, but I I would definitely dream of going camping with you because I think it would be fun. I would take you. Yeah. We're going to talk about making your hiking and camping meals a little bit fancier than just hot dogs, hamburgers, and PB&Js. Here we go. And then after that, we have a tasty trivia, which is always a good, fun segment. So stay with us for the whole hour. So let's first start about imaginative summer spritzer. Yes. I just want to start by saying this. So I'm actually working on a story for Cairo Radio about um, fewer people drinking, you know, having a dry wedding, um, more non-alcoholic options at bars. And I interviewed the loveliest couple a couple days ago. And I'm not going to say everything because the story hasn't come out yet. But they are opening a bar in the Madison Valley that is featuring a lot of what they call unboozy drinks. They're trying to make non-alcoholic beverages the norm 
they're also going to have alcohol, but what they're doing, well, I'll get into that in a minute. The reason I bring this up is that this place that's opening, it's going to be called Camp with a K, and it's in the old Luke space. I, know, I was no? going to say, I know, yes. I know exactly where it is. I'd set up the interview, I got the address, I didn't put it together, and I walked up and I went, oh, this is familiar, and I couldn't, I was like, what did this used to be? And they said, Luke, I'm like, oh my God, I just, You couldn't I, even remember it was Luke? No, because it looked oh. very different inside. Yeah, no kidding. It looked so different, and so there was another bar that was there that only lasted about six months, and now these women are getting ready to open uh, Camp with the K, and the menu looks fantastic. They have managed to get, they've pulled chefs from around the city and bartenders from really, really great places. Uh, right now, just coincidentally they have an all-female staff um, and the drinks look really interesting because they're not doing they think there's a difference between mocktails and non-alcoholic cocktails correct non-alcoholic cocktails use um, there's so many brands that are doing this now the non-alcoholic um, spirits right so they're not doing mocktails all of their drinks have these non-alcoholic spirits some that are not it's not even like non-alcoholic whiskey non-alcoholic vodka they're creating new flavors that never existed before so they all sound really interesting they have like their take on a Negroni um, so that's going to open at the end of July and I'm really excited to go I got a taste test of a few of them yesterday and they were delicious they also have non-alcoholic wine and there's all kinds of people making non-alcoholic beers now um, right. not just the one brand who used to do it in the 80s no I mean that's the cool part about the wine I'm excited about the wine because like you said there was one or two brands before and um, you know back in the 80s and yeah it was really disgusting. It was not that great. Yeah. So I'm glad that this has come up a little bit further on into that level. So, But, you know, you can also use, for me, when I think non-alcoholic uh, cocktail, I don't necessarily, you know, I, I've never, I don't think I'm much of the school of wanting to be something that's not like, you know, people who go tofu turkey, that, that right. perfect example. I'm not that kind of person. Same. I'll make something else. Yes. But I'm not going to try to make a turkey out of something that's not a turkey. Does that make sense? Thank totally. You. So yeah, you would rather just have vegetables. So same thing with a non-alcoholic cocktail. I'm going to try to make something non-alcoholic, period, because that's what I'm looking for. But I'm going to use fruits and vegetables as a base. Yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind, I talked about watermelon, my salad favorite uh, at the beginning. You know, if you take a quarter of a watermelon and you juice it, you get a lot of juice. Oh, yeah. So you can make a lot of cocktail out of that. <laughs> and the nice thing with watermelon is you don't need a juicer. You can just put in a food processor. Correct. That's what I actually do. Blender. I put it in my Vitamix uh, blender. But you can get a, you have a lot of juice and use that as a base. Yes. Now you've got a watermelon, which is fairly mild. and It's not too strong in flavor. From that, you can marry so many fresh herbs. You can add spices. Mm -hmm. You can, I mean, you could literally make a Bloody Mary out of a pureed watermelon It'd be easy to add a little bit of tomato, fresh tomato, and to add some uh, celery and to put a little spice in there. Yes. You'd have a wonderful Bloody Mary that will be all natural and non-alcoholic. Have you tried many of these non-alcoholic boozes? Because actually before the other day, I had never tried them before. I have not tried the booze, the non-alcoholic booze. Yeah. I am still trying to put the context of how do you take the alcohol out of the booze? I don't understand it either, but I know there's two ways that they do it. One way is to just make it like you would make alcohol and then remove it. And then there's another way they do it where it never gets to that level of fermentation at all. I, I don't understand the science of it. Yeah, because it's actually a distillery. It's not a, a fermentation. So right. like if you take the vodka, for example, you just, you know, you distill the, the, the right. grain and whatever, and you end up with this very alcoholic juice. Yeah. So 
do you remove the alcohol? What do you do? You burn it? What do you do? How do you do it? I have it? no idea. This is getting into scientist no, territory. No, I know. And, yeah. and I'm very curious because I haven't tried them. I've heard about them and I have not tried them, but I think it's a very interesting well, there uh, are, subject. There are local people making it, so you should get someone on for I will definitely get some expert in, on this subject. Yeah. But back to non-alcoholic spritzer, you know, you can also use the base, like for example, dry soda, which is on the market right. as an extremely low sugar uh, soda, non-alcoholic, and use that as a base. You know, they have a, uh, they have a uh, blood orange um, dry soda. Yes. And you can use as a base to put like strawberries are in season right now. You take very ripe strawberries, you mix it with that, and you have an orange strawberry uh, non-alcoholic cocktail finished with some beautiful uh, mint on top or even basil on top, and you have this wonderful cocktail blended with some ice. Everything gets fluffy in the mixer. You get this wonderful shake on your hand. It's beautiful. You can also, if you're okay with a little bit of alcohol, you can also add bitters to these quilt yeah. mocktails because that has just a little bit. And if you want that flavor, you know, a lot of drinks get their flavor from these like kind of bitter tart additions. So you could add a little bit of that in. Um, I like really tart things. I've actually, I make this poor man's kombucha at home where honestly, all that I do is I put ice in a glass. I put a bunch of seltzer and then I top it off with apple cider vinegar. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think that that is super delicious. Yeah. I think when you're looking at mocktails, just think of the flavors that you like from a cocktail right. and then just use the same ones. Like for me, I like herbal. I like cucumber. Those are citrus. Those are the things that I go towards. And so, right. yeah, that's kind of easy to do for a mocktail. And mango is also a good base to use that we talked about earlier in the show. We were talking about mango. If you pureed mango, a little bit of a spoon of pureed mango mixed with a um, lavender uh, dry soda, for example. Yeah. That's a delicious mixture together. You end up with a wonderful soda that now has a beautiful f- lavender added to mango and you end up with a wonderful flavor you sprinkle some anise i saw blossom on top they're back <laughs> they're back <laughs> i think there's everywhere. a theme today there is a theme well i like those they're in season use them now yes and i, think- I know most people may may not have them in their in their backyard but again i use tarragon i use basil i use mint i use all of the herbs that are in season right now you could also use peppery nostrichums. There are nostrichums yes. blossom, but they're in full bloom right now. You use a few leaves of that and put them into your cocktail so you have a little spicy bites into your non-alcoholic cocktail. I did a bougie thing last weekend that was so easy. I decided this year that I wanted to grow a couple of edible flowers. And so, it's so I mean, you just go to the nursery. I just bought two plants, two kinds of edible flowers. And so I took my ice cube tray, I filled it with water, and then I took, oh, I'm blanking um, on the kind of flower. You know, what's the little purple ones, little purple white guys that are pansies? edible? Pansies. So yeah, I grew a little pot of pansies just outside my door. I clipped maybe 12 of them. That's how many cubes are in my ice cube tray. And then I just put them on the top of the water, froze it, nice. and they came out, and they were beautiful. So pretty. And I made homemade lemonade, which was actually the first time I'd ever made it. And it's so beautiful. I had guests over, and just to have an ice cube with a little flower, it was no harder than just making regular ice, and people go, ooh, ah. Rachel Bell, the hostess with the mostess. That's what I like to say. Coming up next, we're going to talk about what happens when you have COVID and lose your test bus. <sighs> Devastating. Stay with us on Cairo 97.3 FM. We are back in the kitchen at the Hot Stuff Society radio show. My co-host is Rachel Bell. Hello, chef. Hello. Hello. Always a pleasure. Love being here. So, I heard you had covid and you told me you lost your test bud for a while. 
Yes, I just tested negative finally a week ago. Um, I thought I was immune. It took me so long to get it. But um, a few days in, I made myself matzo ball soup because I was sick. And I took a bite of the matzo ball and it was so salty, I couldn't even eat it. And then I had one peanut M&M and it was so sweet, I couldn't stand it. So for one day... Everything savory tasted too salty. Everything sweet was sickly sweet. The next day, nothing. Everything was gone. It is so concerning. Everybody loves to eat. uh, But when you really, really, really love food and kind of revolve your life around it, it's just so joyless every meal. And, you know, being in isolation for 10 days, food, you were my only friend. And then you ditched me. So I put a poll up on Instagram asking people, when did you get your taste back? Because I remember when COVID started, you know, when we learned that that was a symptom, I haven't really heard anyone talking about it since. So I was shocked to read dozens and dozens of people, three months, six months, nine months, a year, two years, I've never gotten it back. That's when I started getting concerned. And I thought, why aren't we talking about this? Um, Because two years, two years, and they still haven't gotten it back. Um, A woman I spoke to the other day, hers was gone for nine months, and she is a bartender. So she couldn't taste anything. And then she got Bell's palsy, which is a whole other thing. Like, there's all of these symptoms happening. But I interviewed a doctor actually for my podcast, if you go back to the Ben and Jerry episode, because little known fact, um, Ben, I believe it is, maybe it's Jerry, is anosmic, which means he can't smell taste and has been that way his whole life, which is why Ben and Jerry's make such chunky ice cream because of the texture. So in that episode, I had on a doctor who has studied the olfactory system for 15 years, and they still don't completely know why this happens. They just know that there's basically a switch in your brain that shuts off, you know, like the valve that says the brain is going to tell you what things taste like. And unfortunately, there's another symptom that some people get. I don't know anyone who's had this. It's called parosmia, where it's not that you can't taste. It's that everything smells really bad. So it could smell like gasoline, feces, turpentine. And those people have a really those hard great time smell that everybody eating. loves. Yes. And the theory is, they don't know for sure, the theory is that the reason that you have a sense of smell, which smell is our oldest, most ancient sense. That's what we had before we had any of our other senses. It's linked to memory. It's right next to memory in your brain. Um, they think that we use scent to protect ourselves. That's how you don't eat something poisonous. So if your smell turns off, your body says, oh my gosh, we have to really protect you. We're going to make everything smell bad. That's the idea oh, behind wow. that. But going back to not tasting, mine only lasted about a week. Thank God. It is so joyless. So I just wanted to kind of, first of all, bring it up just to say, if you're listening, I am just giving you my greatest empathy because, you know, eating is not just, oh, it's fun. It's good. There's a lot wrapped up in it. And the studies show now that people who have lost their sense of smell and taste for long term, there's a lot of depression, anxiety, um, a lot of mental health issues that are coming up. Of course. Not only because you're not enjoying the food, but because it's shutting off that connection between food and memory um, and smells and memory that we really, as humans, it's just such a part of our ancient being. I think that um, in life in general, most people are extremely happy when they eat. Yes. And whether they're, you know, I mean, we also stress eat, which is not necessarily a happiness side, but it's a relief side. So I think it's very, very important that if you lose your, I mean, I I couldn't even fathom, I I spend my life smelling stuff, you know, I smell all the time. I actually oversmell stuff. Me too. I have a big issue with that. So, but anyway, I couldn't even foresee 
what it would be like to not be able to smell it. It would be seriously sad. Yeah. And not, and not to taste on... To me, I think then when you taste something, if you can't smell, you can't really taste it. Cause exactly. You've ever, if you've ever tried the, to do the test of like pinching your nose right. and then eating something, it tastes very different when you smell than when you don't. Yes. So those two are very much combined together. Yeah. So your tongue picks up salty, sweet, bitter, and then flavor is all from scent. We don't realize it. And also like in the back of your throat, there's like a connection when you're eating that that goes up the back of your olfactory system into your nose. Um, So the thing is, is that you have to find something to enjoy and you want to focus on texture is one of the things. So crunchy, crispy, you know, if you're someone who likes puddings, like something kind of slippery, melty, I mean, it was... Did you, test, did you test hot, spicy food? Um, a little bit. I, I took all the, everything out of my pantry. I was smelling fish sauce. Nothing. Mustard. No. Nothing. They say that you can get spice because spice is not a flavor. Spice is a sensation. Right. Mint is as well. Cooling and spicy is the equivalent of like fingers tickling your tongue. It's, it's actually like a feeling sensation. So yeah, spicy is good. But I wanted to ask you if somebody came to you and said, what is the crunchiest dinner that I could have to feel satisfied? That's not just a bunch of fried food necessarily. What would you recommend? Well, if you want really crispy, I would start. The first thing that comes to mind is croutons. Uh That's a good idea. Something that's really dry bread, that's crunchy, that's crispy. You could flavor that with a little something, but we're not talking flavor, we're talking texture. And I would definitely do crispy lettuces, Yeah, you know, like gem lettuce and... You know, like a Caesar salad is the first thing that comes to That's mind. That's a great idea. That would be one of the things that would come to mind for texture. Uh, what else? I mean, anything that has uh, a wrap that would be dry, you know, like a, almost like a, if you were taking a, a tortilla and having it really crispy. Uh-huh, like a tostada maybe. Like a tostada, exactly. And, you know, things like this, that would be also coming to mind because of yeah. the texture. It's hard for me to, to have texture without flavor. I know. Like I, it's hard to to disassociate them. I mean, you can still add flavor, but during that time I felt like, well, I'm not going to use this because this was a little expensive. What's the point? Or I don't want to eat this because I was saving that and that's not even going to... The thing that I ate actually for four meals in a row was I made a Korean vegetable pancake Uh um, just with anything I had left in my drawer. So I like cut up leeks, um, big chunks of scallions, carrots. I did matchsticks, um, cabbage asparagus and then you make a very thick batter that was only I looked up all kinds of recipes there's no egg in it it was just flour and water like a little cornstarch and salt right. and then you just fold in all of these like two cups of vegetables into this thick batter and then frying pan with a couple tablespoons of oil and it was really satisfying but I made this dipping sauce that had fish sauce soy sauce sesame sauce sriracha couldn't taste any of it. What? Uh. Nothing. So that part wasn't so fruitful but what about I tried. cookies? I didn't have any cookies, but I was eating. Actually, you know what was the most delicious thing was watermelon. That was something I actually, huh. the texture was great. The, the juiciness was really good. And I actually could taste it a teeny weeny bit. But you couldn't taste, oh, you could taste a it slightly. A teeny little something. Oh, that's interesting. I ate a lot watermelon. of watermelon. Because I think cookies, I mean, cookies would be a good one too. Yeah. To just, because it's crunchy. If you get a crunchy one. I took advantage and ate a lot of healthy stuff because I thought, if I can't taste it anyway, I might as right, well just right. eat a lot of vegetables. I How eat very broccoli, simply. Broccoli, carrots. I mean, carrots? You couldn't taste carrots? No. Oh. 
Nothing. Then I thought I got my taste back. This whole thing's over. And my friend and I went to Salt and Straw and got ice cream. I took a lick of hers. I said, oh, my God, this matcha. It's so good. And she looked at me. It's pistachio. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. So I think it's back like 80% you get even full, now. Fooled by the color. Yes. I, I like green like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk about going camping and having some picnic. Your favorite. Go on My camping. Favorite. <laughs> Stay with us on 97.3 FM, Cairo. You are here on Cairo, and uh, my name is Thierry Roturo. I'm the chef in the hat. And I'm Rachel Bell, host of Your Last Meal and a feature reporter on Cairo Radio. There we go. And Tom Douglas is in Scotland. He uh, decided to go golfing instead of being on the show. Fine. Who cares? We yeah. don't need him. Nah, it's no, fine. It's fine. We, we, got, we got this. We got it. We got this. We can talk about Tom. Let's imagine for a minute, then we're going camping. Paint a picture for me, Terry. Paint a picture. Yes. It's Friday morning. Ooh. Yeah, Friday morning. Okay. After the show. And we're going camping in eastern Washington. Sure. Or on the other side of the mountain. I want to go. Can we go Can we go to the whole rainforest or Mount Rainier? Yeah, that would be a okay, lot more fun. Okay, let's do Actually, that. let's go to the beach. Let's go okay. to the coast. We'll go anywhere. It's our imagination. We're going, we're going camping. So you're going camping. You have a tent, I guess. And I have a, a van. A full RV. A full up. RV, yeah. yeah. Something, something where you can cook it. With a Viking range. <laughs> <laughs> Six bathrooms. <coughs> Not quite, but most importantly, a comfortable bed. Yes. 600. That's, and a shower. Egyptian sheet. Yeah, that's my, that's my idea of camping, of camping. But we got to talk about the food. Let's talk about the food. Yes. What do you bring? All right. So I'm kind of on a bit of a mission to get people to get more creative when they go camping, because I think a lot of people just fall back on hot dogs and hamburgers. You grab some chips and that's fine. I have not, I love hot dogs and hamburgers, but if you like to cook at home, you should also, you know, cook that way when you're out at the campsite. So personally, I don't have a camp stove. I like to do everything over the fire. Right. Um, and there's so many things that you can do. And it actually requires you to be a little more creative because you'll think, well, I can't do that because I can't boil water. So one of the things... What do you if mean I, you can't boil water? Well, you could boil water, but it's not like if you're trying to make rice or something over the open fire, it's a little more challenging to find like the hot spot and the cooler spot right. and the medium spot. But there's so. definitely a challenge working on, on raw fire. Yeah. Yes, there is. I like to... One of my favorite things to do is to make steak tacos, but to make the corn tortillas from scratch at the campsite. So we just bring a bag of masa and you bring your little tortilla press Mm -hmm. and all you need to do is mix water into that masa. It's not like a pasta dough or a bread dough where it has to rest. You just mix it up, roll into balls and, um, and then we bring a cast iron, either a pan or like a grill griddle. And so we'll make the tortillas. Have you been to Sonora Town in Los Angeles? Uh, I know of it. I have not been there. Okay. Sonora Town is incredible. They, in the Sonora region of Mexico, they actually use flour tortillas with so much lard that you can see through them like a stained glass window. (laughs) It is, if you're in LA and you love Mexican food, you have to go. But I model mine on their tacos. So we just do like a really simple salt and pepper on the steak, like a flank steak or something, uh, skirt steak, and just grill that. And then do a little bit of melted cheese, a really good salsa, whether you pick it up or you make your own before you go. And I feel like I'm forgetting something. Some cilantro. Oh, and guacamole. Yeah, guacamole. And I just make guacamole when I'm out there. Just I like it simple. Just avocados mashed with lots of lime and salt and like maybe a little bit of tapatio. 
LTO. That's all so I like it too. That is like pretty simple, but still elevated to me. We'll do grilled corn on the cob. Sometimes we'll do like the um, corn that has like the cojita and the mayonnaise and the lime. And that's just one example of elevating a little, making your own tortillas, but still keeping it simple. So I'm 100% with you. I think what's cool about campfire, I mean, a campsite is usually you have those grill that are there already. You can yeah. make your fire and then you can cook on this. And if you bring on top of this a, an, a cast iron plancher, yes. you're set. You don't need anything else. No. Because, you, you know, you were talking about boiling water. Yeah. Once that plancher is hot, you put a pot of water on there with a the top. It boils in like three minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's really fast. You can do pasta. You can do rice. You can do all kinds of things like this. But most importantly, your plancher can help you cook things like broccoli you would normally do. Right. You take bro- broccoli floret and you toss them on that hot plancher. You get beautiful, crispy broccoli. You could die with peas, which are in season right now. Yes. Snap peas. You throw them on there for a few minutes, toss with a little bit of olive oil, salt and pepper, and then you put that in a bowl after it's done. Fresh herbs, mint, uh, whatever, tagon, whatever yes. herbs you have and brought with you. <coughs> you can also do... On the grill, you can do some beautiful chops. You can do a chicken. You can take a chicken and, you know, kind of like cut it in half, a whole chicken, right, and then put it right it. on top of the grill. Salt, pepper, just put the chicken on there, and then make sure you monitor it with the... Make sure there is not big flame underneath. You want the right. heat, you want the ashes, but you don't want necessarily big flame because you don't want to be... The hardest part is being patient because when oh, yeah. I go camping, I hike all day and then I come back and I start cooking and it's like waiting for those flames to get down to cooking level is so hard. Well, that that plancha, uh, to me, I think that's a secret. Take that plancha with you yeah. anywhere you go because once you put that plancha, even if there is flame underneath, it won't burn your food. It and when you're saying plancha, you mean a cast iron griddle, like a flat? Right. Okay. Sorry. A griddle. I call it a plancha because that's actually what it is. Yeah. Um, it's not a grill. The word, the word. The it's word, a griddle. Though. We keep talking about yeah. grill as a griddle, which is not true. A grill is got the holes grates. in between the grates. Yeah. Anyway, we're not going to get technical, but the plancha or the griddle is a great, great tool when you go camping because it can get hot. Yes. Much faster. And then, if you need to do something on the fire, for example, I would put my bread, my beautiful grainy bread I would put it on the grill yes and I do want a little char and I want a little flame right anything else that has fat in it I don't want flame underneath I want heat so having the fire underneath and using the plancha is perfect especially after you give it a you know for example the half chicken you store it on the grill give it a nice little char and then you finish it on the plancha I will say you're going to want a dedicated plancha for camping because they oh, yeah. get disgusting and filthy. And I would recommend bringing like a paper grocery bag or having something you keep it in because it's black and sooty and it's you just start to put away in your car and it's a mess. Anything you're going to cook yeah. on, a fi- on a campfire in camping is going to get black. Yes. That's just the nature of it. Now, you're right. You bring double grocery bag, paper, Yeah. wait till the stuff cools off and you carry it that way. When you come back from camping, that's a other, one of the things I'm not so keen on the camping part. You need to spend a day cleaning everything up anyway. Nah. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. Nah. Otherwise, that cast iron pan is going to taste really good for the rats coming to your house. Yes. I mean, if you leave the fat in there and all that, you need to clean that stuff. But anyway. 
So that's you, another subject. More on the food. Yeah, you talked a lot about protein. So there's a vegetarian meal that I like to do when I camp, which is like a Mediterranean meze. Uh-huh. So I'll bring a bunch of vegetables like zucchini that I will cut the long way so they're in strips. I'll do bell peppers, kind of whatever you want. Right. Um, and then my favorite thing that I started doing last year is baba ganoush because it is so much easier to do it on a camp stove than, or rather a campfire than at home because you don't get all the drips. Right. So I just bring the eggplant. I will just throw them on the fire hole. and let them hole. Just poke a couple holes. True. Um, let them get completely black and deflated. Let them cool for a little bit. Cut it open. You just scoop out all that flesh. And then I bring tahini and I bring some garlic that I chop up, True. lemon and salt, and that's it. You mix it together. So you have that. Then you have all of these beautiful grilled vegetables. I just do olive oil and salt. And I like to bring like I keep like little containers even like pill containers I fill them with olive oil if you just want to bring something small oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you can bring herbs if you want I just kind of keep it simple I'll bring a container of feta I'll bring pita I'll usually make hummus at home that I'll bring and that is so good that you have all the roasted vegetables you have the pita you have these two dips you have the feta and that is a really good meal and everyone can just kind of pick you can do corn on the cob and it's a really satisfying vegetarian meal yeah I think corn on the cob zucchini, bell peppers, onions, all those vegetables. Yeah. So easy to throw on the grill, you know, and just give it a nice char and then make a beautiful salad. Even, uh, we were talking about chili crisp earlier. Yes. A little spoon of chili crisp in there. Yes. That's what I was going to say is bring your condiments. You know, yeah. I bring a lot of condiments. I always bring different hot sauces. I did um, some steak lettuce wraps recently where I marinated the steak at home and a bunch of Asian ingredients. And then I did these little butter lettuce wraps. But I bought at the Asian store. You can get pre-shredded pickled daikon and carrots that they mm. use for banh mi. So I tucked that in there. I had my chili crisp in there. I had some pickled carrots that I had fermented myself that I brought <clears throat> again you know you get to yeah, be yeah. bougie uh, and I brought nori so that I could have like a crispy element so yeah just I just look in my fridge I look in my cupboards I'm like what can I bring also with s'mores you can get creative yeah throw a Reese's peanut butter cup on there instead of a piece you of chocolate grill, you can grill peaches on yes. your grill bananas mix that with your ice cream you don't have ice cream because you're camping. Yes, but you could marshmallows. Do, you could definitely miss that with your marshmallow. Yeah. And your graham cracker and put the peaches together and you have a wonderful dessert. Yes. For hiking too, I like to get creative. So the thing that I'm trying to make a thing is the hiking salad because sometimes I just feel gross if I bring like heavy things or just all these like carby snacks. So I'll make a big salad in a Tupperware. Then I bring my little container of olive oil, my little container of balsamic. I'll stick a lemon in there. And then when I'm at the top, I eat my big hiking salad. If I'm camping and we made chicken the night before, I'll shred up the chicken and put that in there too. Um, and my favorite thing to do, if you follow me on Instagram, you've probably seen, I like to assemble cheese and charcuterie boards on the top oh, of mountains. Because yeah. you might be bringing cheese and crackers anyway. Just bring a lightweight little cutting board. You have your cheese, your pickles, your olives. I'll bring a can of smoked oysters and open that up. Cut up an apple. And then you just arrange it on your board. And then you take a really Instagrammy photo. People ah. love it. So <laughs> elegant. I know. On top. I totally. just love that. Cool. Now I want to go camping with you. And Let's we, go. I'll bring some duck breast, some rabbit, and some <laughs> steak. All right. And then I'll bring all the vegetables that I can think of in the world because there's not a single vegetable I wouldn't take camping. You got to catch us a squirrel. Oh, wow. That would be so good. <laughs> catch us a rabbit. All right. Here we go. All right. All right. Coming up next, we're going to play my favorite game, Tasty Trivia. Woo! And uh, I hope you all play with us. 
Stay with us on 97.3 FM, Cairo. We are back in the kitchen on the Host of Society radio show. We are going to play your favorite game of the day, Food Tasty Trivia. Woo! Love that. Pam, do you want to tell us how this is done? Well, we're so proud to be sponsored by Rub With Love, our spice blends uh, that fuel tasty trivia. And um, we hope that you look for Rub With Love out in the marketplace because it's available all over the country, but you can find it in great stores like Kowalski's in Minneapolis and AJ's in the Phoenix area or Whole Foods across the whole country. But you can also get it at our joint, Seatown and Dahlia Bakery, Serious Pie are right here at Hot Stove. But now, let's play the game. I have three willing <laughs> contestants today. Sean, our AV tech, and Hello. Terry, and our beloved Rachel Bell. And they're each going to get five questions. And someone's going to get the most right. <laughs> let's start with Terry. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, and we'll have Rachel after me. And, or maybe we finish with Rachel. All right. Mr. Rotoro, in the 14th, 15th, and 16th century, which food vendors were called fleshmongers? Uh, well, that would be the fishermen. Uh, think a different animal. Okay. How about the hunters? Butchers. Yeah, I mean, hunters, butchers. <laughs> I don't think that's a point. <laughs> no. <laughs> fleshmongers You're was, just the, looking for butcher? was I mean, the name of... That they used to call butchers. Got it. Um, I got it. Number two. What is frangipani? Frangipani. Oh, it's called frangipan. Frangipan is almond paste. Yes. Number three. Spotted dick is the name for an English pudding. What food forms the spots in the pudding? I actually know this one. You do? A listener sent me a can of spotted dick 10 years ago, and it's been sitting on my desk ever since, and I look at it every day. So how would you know what's inside? Because I can see the picture of it on the can. Ah. I've never had it before, but Uh, I know. Give him a helpline. Is it a fruit? Yes. Yes. Is it a... uh, It's a dried fruit. Looks like a spot. A common dried fruit. So common dried fruit is figs or apple. An American common dried fruit, oh, like what little kids with an eat. R. Oh my God! We've all American. The, kidding, well, it is a the British whole food. Has it, it is a British food. Okay, um, start with a no. I have no idea. It's raisins. Oh, raisins. Yes. Is a winkle a crust of bread, a small edible snail, or a sausage? A small edible snail. Correct. Because periwinkle. (laughs) Exactly. You know the whole story. Of course. And finally, what does the French term Hmm. tournados mean, and what is the dish? Tournado is a slice of beef. It's a cut of beef, and it's about uh, two and a half inch thick, two inch thick. And it's, uh, what else can I tell you about it? I think that's about it. Usually it's pan sauteed. Three out of five. Sean, what is the main ingredient in tabbouleh? I'm going to say couscous, but parsley is part of the... Parsley's part of it. Cu- but what forms c- the hefty base? Couscous. No. Oh. It would be bulgur. Oh. oh. Cracked whole grain I wheat berries. I, 
I've had always it with just couscous at home, so I many times. You could but... make a very delicious one with couscous. So yeah, you are. Yeah. I think you get no. 0.5 for that. <laughs> you could make a good dry fruit with figs and <laughs> Number two. I'm sorry. Even though the hot curry dish vindaloo was developed in Portugal, where is it more commonly served? Vindaloo. India? Or yes. Or is that too broad? Okay. Lovely. Um, Number three, what food type is described by the flavor tutti frutti? I just like saying that. <laughs> tutti frutti. Tutti frutti. Oh, uh, I'm looking for a food type. Yes. Like um, sweet or savory or I'm, where would you find in, in what food category would you find that flavor? Like fruity, is that fresh, a real flavor? Fresh and fruity. Rudy tutti fresh and fruity <laughs> is what I've always been told. And know, what would that be? Fruit. <laughs> I mean, it's in the name. Sweet? Yes. Uh, sure. Most commonly, that flavor is associated with ice cream. Fruity oh, Tootie yeah. ice cream. I've never with heard fruits of Fruity Tootie ice cream. Have you? No. No, I only no, know. No, but I know what it means. Well. I know what Tootie Fruity means. It's all fruit. Um, the starch, this is a multiple choice. Star, the starch tapioca is derived from which plant? Cassava, pine, or primrose? Cassava. You are Beautiful. correct. Hey. Cassava is the right answer. And finally, when we say we are going to spatch cock a chicken, what are we doing? Uh, we are filleting it from either the breastplate, usually the, cut the backbone out, lay it flat so it roasts nice and even. Yes, sir. Beautifully right, done. Right. Terry, how do you Three do? Three five. Ooh, ooh, oh, you guys are tied. All right, oh, bring Rachel, it home, you gotta Rachel. Break this time. I want you to be our winner. Oh, gosh, don't give me any tutti-frutti <laughs> level questions then. <laughs> um, in, in music, schmaltz means cloying music. But in food, what does schmaltz oh, mean? Oh, girl, come on. You asked the Jewish girl about schmaltz. It's chicken fat, chicken fat, chicken fat. I, I thought that I had all knew that. Because we like the schmaltz. Correct. Thank you, Pam. <laughs> Number two, uh, multiple choice. Is Roquefort cheese from France, Austria, or Bolivia? This feels like a trick question. I thought it was from France. It's from France. France. <laughs> and also multiple choice. If you're cooking something on papillote, are you frying, wrapping in grease paper, or steaming with wine? Wrapping in paper. Yeah. <laughs> I think there is a little bit of a... I would say... I gotta say, these questions are harder than yours. You guys... How you didn't get yours? Mine was like a Mensa screening. <laughs> um, which of these words describes a person who eats everything? Multiple choice. Herbivore, carnivore, or omnivore? Omnivore! <laughs> wow, Pam likes this me. This was really, really hard so far. I got four out of four. I don't know how that works. I don't know. It's just so hard. Uh, a Swiss nutritionist developed a mixture of dried fruit and grains that is considered a healthy <laughs> breakfast. What do they call this mix? Muesli. 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 My mom's favorite cereal in the 80s. Five out of five, Miss wow. Rachel. Wow. You are not allowed back. She seems very <laughs> smart to me. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel. It was Thank three you. Sheets, three sheets of questions. Did you see how she kept putting him back? Like, oh no, I didn't. Yeah, as we were playing, exactly. I see. I think Sean got mine. I got his, and uh, you got yours. I got yours. Before we end, congratulations, can I do... young lady. Thank you so much. 
And which means Eddie. which means that uh, somebody is going to win. Who, who do we have as a winner today? Rachel Bell's Rachel taking ben. home a bottle of champagne oh, for I'm the weekend. The wow. Yeah. Thank you wow. so much. I'll put the champagne in Papillote with a little Rockford. <laughs> wow. Mm. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on YouTube Live at Tom Douglas and Company or buy a ticket to join us in the studio at thehotstuffsociety.com. Special, special thank you to Rachel Bell. Thanks for having for me. For co-hosting and bringing the joy today. I just want to put one more plug in for the podcast. If you're looking for something to listen to, you can find it at yourlastmealpodcast.com or find Your Last Meal wherever you're listening to this podcast. The show is produced by Pamela Inkley, Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean DeTore. Also remember, if you miss any episode of Hot Stuff Society radio show on Cairo 97.3 FM, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite apps. Thank you for listening and thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Chef Terry. 